0: Hi, it's Mickey Dolans here. You're listening to Inspirado Projecto. I hey,
1: first I first, heard, mainstays. Mainstays. I first heard I first heard
2: my first Jimi Hendrix song while driving around with my dad, and,
1: Jazz, I said, I and it was Purple Haze. You
2: and I was astounded
0: let's do, let's do back,
2: back I was okay, astounded I said dad what sticks, who I'll is them. this and he said "Jimmy Hendrix I just, and it
1: it was, I was
2: astounding it was
1: well, like, it. Back, back this this, I keep this
2: hands like so just Oh man. Cosmos. Cosmos. Big time, big time, big time. And.
1: It was. The road? It
2: was magical. So I kept my ear out for Jimi Hendrix whenever I could. You're listening to Lunar Mansions in the background here while I read this to you. That's by Kim Cascone. I figured I'd give you some cosmic sounds. As I read to you, here we go. Here's a story about one of Jimi Hendrix's UFO situations. Curtis McNeer, 1945 to 1999, a.k.a. Curtis Knight, was a New York musician, composer, and front-line man of the band Curtis Knight and the Squires. World-famous guitarist Jimi Hendrix had been playing the guitar in the band before his fame days. After Hendrix obtained fame with his own band and after his death, Knight claimed Hendrix was a very special man who had been in contact with UFOs. Knight reportedly narrated in his 1992 book, Jimi Hendrix, Star Child, that on a cold winter night near Woodstock, New York, USA, in 1965, at 4 a.m., as the band was trying to make it back to Manhattan through a freezing blizzard. The wind was whipping the snow around their fans so fiercely that they missed the turnoff leading to the state highway in the direction home. Stuck in a drift that reached the hood of their van, the men were freezing when suddenly the road in front of them lit up as a bright phosphorescent object, cone-shaped, Quote, like a space capsule unquote, landed in the snow about one hundred feet up ahead on a tripod landing gear, Knight asked Hendricks if he saw this too, but Hendricks just smiled, seeming to be staring out into the night, His eyes riveted on the craft. A door opened on the side of this craft and an eight-feet-tall entity came forth. Night, told its skin was yellowish and slits instead of eyes, a forehead coming to a point, and a head running straight into his chest, leaving the impression that he had no neck. The entity floated to the ground and glided toward the trapped occupants of the van while the snow was melting in its wake. Knight said its body generated tremendous heat so much that as it came across a small rise, the snow disappeared around in all directions. In a matter of what seemed like seconds, the being came over to the right-hand side of the van where Hendricks was seated and looked right through the window, and Hendricks seemed to be communicating telepathically with it. Knight said the interior of their vehicle began to heat up. The heat coming from the being evaporated the snow enough to free their imprisoned van, so they managed to drive on. While he looked back to see the road filling in with snow again and the craft lifting off like a rocket from a launching pad, Knight said that Hendrix kept this a secret, and that the other band members who were with them remembered nothing as if they had been placed under a spell, hypnotized. Here is. Oh. Jimmy expressed a great interest in matters of an extraterrestrial nature he had admitted seeing UFOs and once told a reporter from the New York Times that he was really from Mars and he wasn't kidding either David Henderson in his book The Life of Jimi Hendrix quotes Jimmy's feelings about life on other planets Quote, there are other people in the solar system Oh, here we go. No, here in Jimmy's words. There are other people in
0: the solar system, you know. They have the same feelings, too. Not necessarily bad feelings, but see, it upsets their way of living, for instance. They're a whole lot heavier than we are.
2: (laughs) That's my Jimi Hendrix. And it's no war games because they all keep the same place, but, like, the solar system is going through a change soon, and it's going to affect the Earth in about 30 years. On several occasions during his career, UFOs just happened to show up while Jimmy was giving a concert. During the last days of his life, he performed on the rim of an extinct volcano in Maui. Jimmy played three 45-minute sets, says Henderson in his bestseller, after each set, he retired to a special sacred Hopi Indian tent. Later, witnesses in Maui testified that they had heard musical tones emanating from rocks and stones. UFOs were also sighted over the volcano by people who called in to a local radio show. The cameraman on the set said that he fell from his perch after seeing a UFO through his lens. In the film Rainbow Bridge, Hendrix rattles on for several minutes about astral projection and the philosophy of the Space Brothers. He also tried to master the art of psychic healing through color and sound. That's intriguing. Now that's.
0: Wowzers, wowzers, wowzers. How cool is that?
2: So here's the addendum to uh, the Curtis Knight story. Jimmy never did talk about what happened. He sort of let me know that the cool thing to do was not to bring up the subject. It was to be our little secret. However, from what he did say, I sort of suspect that the object arrived to save our necks, chiefly because Jimmy had been practicing trying to communicate by ESP with the beings on board. I know this may be hard to believe, but I'm putting it straight, just like it happened. Do you hear? A capsule review of Jimmy's songs shows that he incorporated some of his interplanetary ties in with his music. The lyrics of many of his songs contain veiled references to UFOs. His album, Axis Bold is Love, opens with an announcer talking about flying saucers with a cut following being a catchy tune called Up from the Stars. Listen, I don't have much time, but... Do you feel like you're going out of your gourd? Are you? Do you have the cabin fever? Have you run out of Netflix to watch? If Has the thought occurred, hey, you know what? I can make funny stuff. I've been watching TikTok. I've been watching all the social networks and seeing what kind of creativity is coming out. I could create that. Hey, you know what? I wish they made a podcast about this. Well, you know what? You can make your own podcast. Go to anchor.fm.
0: to the thief there's too much confusion I can't joke, but you and I, we've been through that, and this is not our fate, so let us not talk falsely now,
3: the hour's getting late.
0: Came and went, barefoot servants too. Ah. Outside in the cold distance, a wild cat did growl, growl. Two riders were approaching, and the wind began to howl, hey, hey, hey. watch to
3: It's good, baby. Like this one this one song I wrote named uh, Eyes and Imagination, that's the name of it. And it's about fourteen minutes long. But it's about it's telling about every sentence or every two sentences tell a completely different story. It's nothing but imagination. It starts off with this baby crying, you know, a brand new baby has been born, and then you hear these bullets, you know, in the background. You know, it's it's nothing but this imagination. And it's a, every sentence tells a different story and it's about, but it goes in about f- four major movements, but I always go back to this one little thing. You must have that one little thing through it, you know. The but I don't even know if, there's so many songs I wrote not, that we haven't even done yet that we'll probably never do. Just because um, you know, there's a, a lot of things around here that's really bad, yeah. so.
2: Okay. So uh, I hear from people when I'm uh, for Stony Shores, for Yachtley Crew, they say, uh, I've heard on many occasions, they'll say, oh, you're like a puppet, you're a Muppet back there, like you're an animal from the Muppet Show. Or one of the guys says, uh, Dr. Teeth, I think is that his name, in the uh, electric pal- parade, or the, the, you know the band um, that's in, in there, on Muppet Show and uh, or Sesame Street. So I tell people like, okay, I'm a cross between <laughs> uh, that guy, the electric guy, uh, animal, Jimi Hendrix and Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop in the way of like, Bleh! you know, he's just like ah, this mad mad guy. Um, Muppet, because in a sense I'm back there behind the keyboard just bloop, 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 moving around and Animal, because there's a gah, Manic and then the Jimi Hendrix just tuning deep into the, the cosmos, the cosmos being this mad scientist and then the Iggy Pop yeah, yeah, gah, just this, he seems like he seems uh, unhinged and crazy but he's you know, he's got it under control somehow and so R. W. here says to me yesterday, he goes, wow, that's Jim Henson and Jimi Hendrix. And then I realized, oh, my God, those are two guys named Jim and two guys that start the name with H. And then I realized, no, holy cow, they are both Jim Hen. Jim Hen, both of them. Jim Hen, how cool is that? Amazing, amazing, amazing. That stuff just, just astounds me. Is part one from Michael Nesmith's book, Infinite Tuesday. How phenomenal is it? Is today Tuesday? Let's check it out. Today's Tuesday, today's Wednesday. <laughs> it's all right, it's all right. This is uh <clears throat> Michael Nesmith, page 32. No surprise there, 23 is the number of synchronicity, 32, of course, is that inversion, the mirror of itself, looking at itself. thats It's interesting if you think about it, 23, U-S-S-U, that is Usu, 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 Usu. I've talked about the boom, boomerang of Usu. We'll talk more about uh, the cup, the cup that filleth up the cosmic soup. So here we go. Mike Nesmith talking about meeting Jimmy Andrews. What did become apparent, and finally undeniable, was the fact that the Beatles and the whole British invasion were not the visitation. The visitation had not yet come, although it was about to. In all my travels through London at altitude, it was categorically the most astounding and important thing that happened to me. One night in the spring of 1967, John and Cynthia and Phyllis and I were to meet at a restaurant for dinner. And John was late. He came in breathless with apologies and explained he had gotten caught up in a club where he was listening to a band. He produced a portable cassette player the size of a small loaf of bread, laid it in the center of the table, and played what he had recorded. It was Jimi Hendrix playing Hey Joe. Everyone at the table was silent, and it dawned on me that we were all speechless. We all stared at the recorder as if it were some type of alien egg, something from far outside the limits of our normal waking state. When the song was over, someone said, How can anybody be that good? Whatever Hendrix had plunged into, whatever visitation he brought upon us was, first of all, good. It came with the instant recognition of a real thing, a true thing, an innovation. When I got back to the hotel after that dinner, I ran into Mickey Dolan's. He told me he had seen Hendrix and asked him if he would be the opening act for the next leg of the Monkees tour, and Jimmy had agreed. I was thrilled and confused. This conjunction of Hendrix and the Monkees was staggeringly weird in my eyes, but the idea that I would get to see him playing live night after night was electrifying It would prove the most lasting and substantial aspect of all my trips to London. If London was the still center of a storm that was changing the artistic, social, and political landscape of the world, Jimmy was a maelstrom. Both the center and the circumference with his own gravitational force. He was music as mass. And all that revolved around that music changed the landscape of the mind. Hendrix moved through oral boundaries the way Duchamp moved through retinal ones. From the purple haze came nude, descending a staircase as Little Wing. The British band's rearrangements of the U.S. rock and roll legacy had generated a storm, but Hendrix opened a world where a whole new type of music was born. The world that he discovered, the sonic possibilities of instruments in a rock and roll band, shaped the bands that came in his wake from from th- the way he used the amp, turning the volume all the way up and using his guitar volume as overdrive, sending the sound into a sweet and, me- and mellifluous distortion to the wah-wah pedal that shifted the tonality What he unveiled changed even the Beatles and the Stones. The range of nuance, especially the extremely loud and his melodic structure and lyrical content all had some history, some foreshadowing. But Hendrix revealed a performative performative aspect of life, of music that was his life, that brought the best of all the musical worlds together. When Hendrix played, something came into existence as as a fact that had not been there before he played. That being an opening act on a Monkees tour would bring Hendrix into a world of popular awareness was curious and oddly poetic. That it would galvanize the Monkees assassins for their final push was no surprise. Jimmy came on to the U.S. Monkees tour that started up in Jacksonville, Florida in July 1967, and that was the first time I met him. He had hair out to hear, and he was wearing exotically lavish, psychedelic clothing. I found him to be a a gentle and kind soul, soft-spoken and a bit shy. There were times watching Jimmy play that I felt the company of Wagner or Beethoven, or other times Bo Diddley or Buddy Holly, and other times Gershwin or Max Steiner. We became friends of a sort during that tour and stayed in touch in the years that followed. The first night he played, I went igno- incognito to the sound check at the stadium and stood at the foot of the stage a few feet away from him and Mitch and Noel, the other two members of his band. When Jimmy started playing, I stopped breathing for a second and I found myself standing about three feet farther back from the stage than I had been, but with no idea how I got there. It was the first time I ever saw a Marshall stack, a five-foot-tall amplifier with enormous power. Jimmy played through two of them, as did Noel, the bass player. The music was unlike anything I'd ever heard, but it was almost beside the point. The Beatles' TV appearance and their subsequent records were the best played, the most artfully written or harmoniously sung, but they didn't come close to what Hendrix was doing performatively. I listen to Jimmy Hendrix records now, even his live recordings, and they have... Very little of what I heard that night at Soundcheck. No, no kind of recording could contain it. I watched him every night after that for about 10 days until Jimmy gave the finger to everybody in the Mon- Monkeys audience at Forest Hill Stadium in New York, and he walked off stage. He moved out of the miasma of the Monkeys tour into his own hundred thousand seat stadiums and played for reverential crowds that did not shout,
0: we want Davy.
2: While he played and sang "Foxy Lady," I was not close friends with Jimmy, and our subsequent contacts were infrequent, and usually hurried. But I saw him one last time. He did a good deed that defined him for me as a person.
0: and moonbeams fairy tales With a thousand smiles she gives to me free
2: tape of recordings mixed tape of it might have been Jimi Hendrix experience my cousin Scott Madden had made for
0: me I want to say that I
2: looked I know my first cassette tape that I got of Jimi Hendrix tape was something that had his face on it you could order a t-shirt I had that t-shirt for the longest time And and it and it and it looks like charcoal on black paper it looks like something like that like like You know, his face, it's its like white and his afro is like exploding in a sense. And I had a t-shirt for the longest time. And I began... In here, I began painting oh, Hendrix yeah. in class. Yeah. I did a charcoal. Oh, oh, shit, I did do that, that's why I'm describing that. I did a charcoal of that. That's
0: why
2: <laughs> so I'm getting an image of that. That was in my art class with Mr. Rohde. It's like a rhythm track Yes, 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 yes. It was white charcoal, I put it on black paper. So I had that. Then I made a purple one. We had to do a monochromatic painting. So I did all purple. Because you know, ooh, now I'm realizing it is that there was a there's a kid, something Miller. He was in the class and he was always just uh, doing like copies, doing doing copies. He was like Andy Warhol, I suppose. He was always doing nagels and then that started a, a, a craze within the community and all these other little all these other kids just started doing nagels and so then you started wondering well should I start doing a nagel you know there was like this oh my gosh this is crazy I haven't remembered this in so long but the kids were doing these nagels at the time And I think it was because that Rio cover, some kid did the Rio cover, that that Miller kid, and he was always doing like Led Zeppelin and all this amazing stuff, classic rock stuff, and that inspired me to start going on this, I'm going, you know what, I'm going to start doing Jimi Hendrix, I'm listening to a lot of Jimi Hendrix, I couldn't stop listening to Jimi Hendrix in high school, that's all I listened to, and then I would just collect these tapes, Uh, Sam Goody, and, oh my gosh, this is so amazing, I would paint okay so so I'd paint yeah remember monochromatic painted all purple Jim Hendrix so I had those paintings up and I at the time I was reading books about channeling I was reading books about out of body experiences I was really trying to do my best and trying to figure out how to connect best with the universe and uh, I just loved entering those shops with those like crystals and, and tarot cards and there was always like this just high vibration in there it's just amazing. I didn't know way back then what I know now. And what I know now is like, holy cow, that was a, a seed, a planted planted a seed in there. Maybe me just talking about it now is me planting that seed in that past person's brain, you know, in, in that past self's brain. Yeah. So I'm ju- I'm imagining it now, bam, and there it is. And now he gets to experience it in their reality. Oh, my God, the chicken before the egg thing. So I was reading about channeling, and my dad had found at work and he got it stringed up and so I started learning it and just looking up these chords and never, actually never daring myself to actually learn any Jimi Hendrix songs oddly enough, now that I think about it I didn't learn any any Jimi Hendrix songs uh, it just sounded too untouchable un, too unfathomable to try to to try to recreate or to dare myself to do it just sounded just impossible. And so I, I got a chord and I learned. No, I didn't have a chord book at that point. I just had the guitar. And I remember thinking to myself, I go and I lit a candle. I was just there in my room. I closed my door. I wore my Jimi Hendrix t-shirt. I looked at my the charcoal of Jimi Hendrix. I had it next to it on the wall, next to my bed. I had, had the Jimi Hendrix you know, all in purple, different monochromatic versions of that purple. And I thought to myself, I want to channel the spirit of Jimi Hendrix through me right now. I try to just open myself, open myself, open myself, open my... And, and I just thought maybe his spirit would just start playing through me playing through me. Little a candle. I just had the candle. It was dark in my room. Those paintings were on the wall. And as far as I know, he did not visit me that night. I went to it into a trance. I would love to recall that. What what did I go into? What what did I meet him during that time? Possibly not at that time. As far as I know, I would love to do a past life regression. So, main point of my story here is, but all that is the setup, which is very important. So, I tried to channel, attempted to channel Jimi Hendrix. I'm not sure for how long. And. It wasn't that night, but it was the next few nights. I had a dream and I was walking down a dirt path and there were trees on either side of me. I was walking down the dirt path and there was a moving truck and on the back of the moving truck was Jimi Hendrix in one of his crazy shirts, crazy outfits, his hat. I was playing, playing his guitar, jamming on a guitar had a conversation and I I just remember it was pleasant (laughs) one of these days I'll have past life regression I'll record the whole thing it'll be a uh, an Inspirato projecto episode how cool would that be so I'll find out what we talked about that was That's that's stuck with me in such, so long. The Jimmy, the Jimmy Hendrix. And and he was Sagittarius, too. He was Sagittarius. Sagittarius from Jupiter.
1: Dude, when that song starts.
4: Hello, uh, this is Eddie Vedder, and uh, I fully approve of uh, Inspirato Projecto uh podcast and uh uh thank you thank you uh i'll be i'll be out there in a moment uh stone uh stone gossard uh he's he's got the pizza pizzas pizzas ready uh but uh this is eddie vetter and uh i fully endorse uh inspirato projecto and now you'll hear um uh, part two of uh infinite Tuesday, uh, an autobiographical riff, uh, from Michael Nesmith, this is from, uh, uh page two, uh, three, thirty-five, no, no joke there, uh, as, uh, three is a magic number, and five, uh, is, is the number of synchronicity, and, uh, you add those together, you got number eight, uh, which of course is synchronicity, so, uh, <coughs> we, uh, now take you back to this, uh, uh, to, uh, to this. Uh, um.
2: I was back in London to kick off a tour of the first National Band, a group I had put together and written new music for. This was my first time to play and sing songs I had stored up during the Monkees TV show. I was at the height of pariahhood with the press and the pop critics and the reviews of my new album, Magnetic South, were exoriation. Even other contemporary bands were suspicious and we were mocked by bands on the same concert bill with us. RCA had called a press conference for me and I knew I was in trouble. By the way, the promotion man who set it up was acting. He kept reassuring me that everything would be fine and in a way that made me sure he knew that no one was coming. However, when we got to the conference center at the hotel, the place was jammed with reporters. The promo man was clearly relieved and surprised. A few minutes later, after the press reception started, I looked up and saw Jimmy coming in the door. Uh, He walked straight to me, gave me a hug, and we we exchanged glad hellos. I asked why he was there, and he told me he had gotten a call saying that the responses to the invitation for my press conference were not going well, and asking if he would come and lend his support. He said yes, he would be there, and had allowed that to be announced to the trades. His presence at the conference made a huge difference to me that day. It was one of the most generous acts of support I'd experienced from a fellow artist, and was especially welcome given my state of mind, which is mightily confused artistically and personally. Hendrix was curious about the music I was making. and We talked, I gave him a record, but felt shy the moment I handed it to him. That wasn't all of it. A few minutes after Hendrix arrived, Ringo Starr came in with the same story. He was just as warm and supportive as Jimmy had been. We were talking when, when a reporter came up to Ringo and me, interrupted, and started talking to him, asking him questions about the Beatles. Ringo would have none of it. Oh no, he said. This is his press conference. And shoot the guy away. I suppose there are pictures of Jimmy and Ringo and me somewhere in the archives of some music press paper, but I've never seen them. What I have from that time is my memory of it and the forever gratitude I feel for what they did for me. Two days later, Jimmy's was dead. Jimmy was dead. So, you guys, uh, it's January 2nd right now, 2019.
4: Is this the second?
2: Third! It's already the third rule of three. And Jimi Hendrix has been following me all over the place. I've been seeing him all over the place. And uh, so, we played New Year's Eve, we played at the arena. That had a lot of photos of Jimi Hendrix on it. Uh, The Rose has a lot of photos of Jimi Hendrix on it the canyon. You know, it makes sense. You know, he's a rock god. It's just really interesting. Ever since I started doing the the podcast, which I think was probably most likely inspired by seeing Jimi Hendrix around. Um, So I've been seeing him a lot more lately, and I just had to let you know that. And now that I planted that seed in your brain, chances are you're going to start seeing him around a lot more. So when you do, please email me at inspirato.com Projecto at gmail.com and I'll you know send me send me audio. Send me your your Jimi Hendrix story. Uh poetry dreams uh there you have it. Oh wait a second. No, not there you have it. Here you have it. Okay, I'm going to, uh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I told you the the Jimi Hendrix UFO sighting yet, so I'm going to go listen back through this podcast. If it's not there, I'm going to tell it to you right now immediately. All right, so hold hold your horses.
1: Out and was snoring and uh, shortly thereafter Jimmy who was wearing green velvet pants demonstrated some sort of intricate dance step and ripped the inside of his pants and Gail had to sew them back up for him. And then uh, as they were ready to leave uh, Jimmy woke up plenty of miles he said goodbye Frank and they went out the door. Your thoughts about his music? I had written articles at that time that I thought what should be done since he wasn't um, uh, musically literate, he couldn't write it down himself, that he should be put in some sort of uh, working relationship with somebody who could write his ideas and have them scored for instruments other than the electric guitar. And I think that would have been something worthwhile to do, but he was too busy doing other things to ever sit down and approach.
3: What do Gregorian chants, Indian, medieval, and 20th century minimalist music have in common? The drone. A part of musical history for thousands of years, it continues to entrance us today. Now, eight sound artists have transmuted their drones into an immersive cinematic experience. Join us for the Drone Cinema Film Festival on Saturday, January 19th at the Highways Performance Space in Santa Monica. A mesmerizing evening with cinematic tapestries woven from the drones of light and sound. For more, visit highwaysperformance.org.
4: This is Orson Welles, and we now take you to a very rare Jimi Hendrix interview from December of 1967. This is part three of three. On the interviewer is Kevin Burstein. Pay attention. You might learn something. Uh, Like like you might see, uh, or something like that,
3: and also, you might have a very right. funny feeling go through you for a second. Do you, like, you mean, like, looking into his eyes? Or, like, go, yeah, not but, necessarily, but like, just the animal itself. Yeah, okay, one time i seen this deer, you know. And I, cause I see a lot of deers around where I, you know, where I used to be from. I was like, wait, something went through me for once. Like, I've seen him, before. I mean, like, I had some real close connections with that deer for one split second, and then it just went away like that, you know. That happens, you know, like a lot of friends of mine talk me about that, that happens to as well, you know ever laid in bed and uh, you was in this complete state where you couldn't move or couldn't enough like that but you know you're like that and you get you feel like you're going deeper and deeper into something not sleep but it's something else yeah. and every time I go into that then I say oh I'm scared as hell you know you get all scared and stuff so you try to say no you no. you can't move you can't squeeze. you say no girl you finally get out of it you know because <laughs> you just can't move it's a very funny feeling but one time I was going to try it one time I had that feeling was coming through me you know I said oh this time I'm going to see if I can let it happen, see where I go to, or see what happens, you know. So it's really getting really scary, man, so, like that, you know. I said, I'm not even asleep, you know. So this is really strange And somebody knocked on the door, you know, so, cause I said, Oh. because I want to find out. Okay.
5: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Jupiter... Karaoke, bar, and grill here on the planet Jupiter. Thank you. Shh, please quiet down. Please quiet down. I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing as MC tonight's program. What? Why? Let me ask you a question. Why did the chicken cross the road? Hello? Why did the chicken cross the road? Okay. Uh because <clears throat> the chicken Asked which came first the chicken or the egg So that was okay thank you Thank you Have you heard that one before? Have you heard that Oh okay Okay here we go Uh My favorite song My favorite blues song here Blue song on Jupiter <clears throat> Okay, go ahead. Here we go. Hey, Joe. Where are you going with that gun in your hand? That laser gun in your hand? Hey, Joe. Now tell me where you're going with that laser gun in your hand.
2: I'm going to shoot my lady. Cause I caught her messing around with the space in. Oh, really? Yes! I'm going down to shoot my lady. She's been infected. Cause she, she got, was, she was messing around with the space
5: creature again. Hey, hey Joe. Call me Jack. Hey Jack, I heard you shot your woman down.
2: Well, technically, I chased her around a, a, a hotel with an axe.
5: Hey, Jack. I, I, I heard your woman down. You shot her in the ground. Well, I, I tried to
2: chop her down with the space axe. Well, yeah, I, I shot at her with the laser pistol. I sh- tried to shoot her. I met her messing around with the uh, uh, space creature. Did you shoot her? Yeah, well, yeah, I tried it. Well, I chased her with the axe, and I tried to shoot her. I sh- tried to shoot her because I thought her... She was. I saw her messing with the space monster. I, ga- I gave her the, the space gun, though. I gave it to her. So you didn't shoot her? Well, no, not technically. I, I threw her off uh, yeah, a very tall... Uh, uh, yeah, sp- well, let's just say it was a, sp- a spaceship to Space Catalina. I pushed her off the edge.
5: Well, that's not very nice, Jack? Well, are we still in a movie, or is this uh, my life story? Well, it's a movie. Okay, good. I got full license, to say.
2: And then uh, I fell into a vat of uh, acid, and I got transformed into the
5: Joker. Uh, wait, hey, hey, Jack, how did you get turned into the Joker? Where are you going to run to? Uh, where are you, you going to run to, Neil? Neil. Well, I'm going to run to the center of Jupiter. Hey, Jack, I, I know of... Uh an apartment complex where, uh, that's opening up there in the center of the earth. Because if you have no other room, nowhere else to run... Oh, don't you worry about
2: me. Don't you worry about me. I'm going to go way down. So I'm going to go way down south, okay, in the center of the earth. Okay, But that's just between you and me and I guess whoever's listening to this song. I mean, I'm talking way down south where I'm going to be free. And as far away from that hotel as possible. I mean, way down south, in the middle, in the center of the Earth. In the center of the Earth? Well, you you know what I mean. That's what we call the center of Jupiter, right? Because we don't want
4: to... I'm going to
5: run, okay? I'm going to run. I'm going to run there. Well, you don't have to. You can take a a space pod. I've got a a frequent flyer miles, a a space pod, right into the center of the Earth. It's going to be wonderful in there. It's going to be exquisite... It's going to to be exquisite. Uh,
2: Ed? Uh, Ed? Uh, Gatorade. What is financial aid for an alligator? (laughs) Uh, do they not like my fake, uh, my fake laughter? I guess they don't.
5: Oh. thank Why, uh, why, thank you. Well, technically, you didn't sing the song. Like I swooped in, uh, Ed. Heyo, Johnny.
2: Say I swooped in right at the end there. Hey, it's good to see you again, Johnny. Here's Johnny, Johnny. Well, hell? Uh, well, uh, Jack. Uh, here's uh, here's Jack. Here's Jack.
0: Heyo. Heyo. Right, audience.
2: Uh, here. Uh, here's here's Jack. And Johnny,
5: uh, here's... Here's Johnny! Here's Johnny! Here's Johnny! Here's Johnny! Here's Johnny Carson! Uh, Jack? Uh, uh Ed? Heyo! Uh, you are... What about me? Can I be in on it, too? Well, we have Carl Sagan.
0: Hello, Carl Sagan! Great right audience, right? Great right audience,
2: I was looking around for Jimi Hendrix's poetry, and I found this. From lot number 248, Jimi Hendrix's handwritten poem. This, clo- this lot is closed Forbidding bidding. Bidding ended on 10-16-2010. This is Jimi Hendrix's handwritten love poem, written circa 1969 on a sheet of Cumberland Hotel London stationery in red ink. Jimi Hendrix has written, she said... She comes from Iceland. I told her I was from the West. She took me to the snow-capped mountains, and then she put me through the test. We walked across the glacier. The horses stayed behind. And as we laid between the frozen valleys, we kissed for the very first time, and now We're stuck together. This very same manuscript was published in 1993's Jimi Hendrix, The Lost Writings, Cherokee Mist, compiled by Bill Natopi. The poem measures 6 by 8.25 and is framed to an overall size of approximately 32 by 18. Estimate, 12,000 to 14,000. Minimum bid, 10000 Final bid, $12,100. Number of bids, three. Auction closed on Saturday, October 16th, 2010.